everybody, and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. So, starting off, this episode, all all disclosure, is, is being recorded on November 1st, the Sunday preceding the election. And while you may say, why record it now? Why not wait? I think this is an excellent opportunity to test a few things. One, bias. Two, the polls. And three, uh, just our, our general assumptions going into the elections, because I think, like 2016, there may be some upsets in more ways than you'd think. I don't know if it'll necessarily be a a, a Biden blowout, a Trump blowout, if there's going to be an upset, but I think we could see some states that we're not anticipating. There could be some historic shifts going on in this election that we need to uh, sit down and discuss, especially looking at the polls going into it. So starting off, I'm going to go right into the poll numbers here just to just to give us a general overview and following each percentage, uh, I'm going to essentially give you my opinions, what, what may be happening here, what may be happening in the grand scheme of things, and what this will look like on the electoral map if it really does happen. So jumping in through it, uh, Arizona, we see Biden up, uh, he's 48.7 to Trump's 45.3. That's about 3%. And why? Why would Arizona, a historically red state, be going for Biden? And I think there's one key, uh, really one key catalyst for this to happen. And I think we've we've discussed it previously, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, Mark Kelly, Captain Mark Kelly's uh, Senate race against uh, McSally in Arizona is going to make big waves. And I think when you go in to vote for a blue Senator, you're going to go in to vote blue all the way down the ticket. And that's what's going to win Biden, Arizona. And I am somewhat confident about that. And the beautiful thing about this whole exercise is you guys can chastise me later uh, if if any of my predictions are incorrect or if I, you know, doubt the polls or anything and they turn out to be true or I trust the polls too much and they turn out to be false. I mean, it's it it's a beautiful exercise in all of this. But but going back to it, Arizona why Biden would be even competitive in this state is is truly all because of this Senate race. And I think this is a, a problem that no one no one ever talks about, and especially looking back on 2016 when we talk about, wow, everyone said Hillary was going to win. That's because we only looked at national polls, and anyone who looked at state polls could see that they were within the margin of error. And states like Michigan that were lost by 0.2%, I mean, that's that's a fifth of a percent here, guys. That's really not the polls' fault. They came real close to getting it right. They were wrong by a tiny margin, especially when the margin of error is 3 to 4%. So you just have to take these things with a grain of salt, and there can be upsets. It leaves room for upsets, and that's what makes it quite interesting, quite frankly. But, of course, pulling aside um, of 2016 aside, looking back at 2020, Arizona could go for Biden. And why I think it's going to go for Biden is I think it's just that natural intrinsic down the ballot. Uh, it's it's really more of a human nature uh, focus. I think people will go in voting for uh, to, to get because you wouldn't vote to get rid of a senator who is aligned with Trump unless you didn't like Trump is is I think the general consensus here and I think I prescribe to that more so than other people maybe but I I can't see someone going in to vote against McSally because she votes with Trump too much and then saying but you know what I really like Trump so I think you know common sense would bring me to believe that Biden might take Arizona. Of course, these are all need to be taken with a grain of salt. These these polls could be inaccurate. There could be a an unactivated polling uh, segment of the population that no one's talked to. But for the most part, I, I truly do believe that Biden may have Arizona going forward. And I think 
as is, you know, as is standard. Same with Colorado many years ago. I think once a state is purple, once they vote blue in a national election, people get used to that. And blue voters get emboldened in that state. And I think that's what we've, we've been seeing in Florida with the Republican Party. And I think that's why that's transitioning out of a purple state and into a deep red state going forward. And I think the polls are really going to point to that as we get on more into this. As for Michigan, it's it's Biden's 51.2% to Trump's 42.8%. The only reason I bring this up, this looks like it's going to be a Biden wash. I mean, that's that's nearly 10% there that Biden's up by. Why would you even bring it up? It's really just to point out, to highlight uh, the differences from 2016 to 2020. I think this this may not be Trump's doing, quite frankly. I think this is all in the candidate. I think Biden, if they had run Biden in 2016, he would have done a lot. I mean, we, the Democratic Party would have done a lot better writing on Obama's coattails like that. Of course, I think he had a personal tragedy in 2016, which is the reason he didn't run and Hillary chose to run, which is entirely acceptable. And of course, you cannot, you know, pass judgment on the man for, for taking time for, for any personal reasons. But that said, I think the candidate matters. I think the candidate really does matter. And running Hillary Clinton, even in a favorable environment, didn't pay off. I, I think that's rather obvious. So just going into it, I think Biden, I, I don't think this is Trump's doing for the record. I think the people who are voting for Trump are still voting for Trump. I think a lot of the people who stayed home or a lot of the people who decided to not cast for a, a, a major party would have been Democratic voters had it been Biden in 2016. So I think that's why Michigan is so much more of a wash this cycle than it was last. Moving forward, we've got Pennsylvania. Uh, Biden's up 49.9% to Trump's 45. Again, within margin of error, Trump could pull an upset, though I think I would reflect on some internal Republican polling that came out not that long ago showing, I mean, and this is internal polling from the Trump campaign, so they would try and make this as favorable as possible. It saw them losing anyways. So with a resounding number of GOP uh, members, the Repu members of the Republican Party voting for Biden, which is, a, you know, that's horrible to see in your own internal poll. But it, it seems to seems to point to Biden's playing on his Scranton background, his working class background. I think it might work. I think it'll work in Pennsylvania. And even with uh, some local newspaper endorsements coming out for Trump, I don't see it shifting the tide. I don't see any, you know, real late game shifts for Trump, you know, 10 points, 20 points. It's it's not, I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think uh, come election day, I don't think that there's going to be, even, even on that night, which I know Trump will always have the advantage going in because more Democrats mail in their ballots. So we need to take that on face value. But going in, I don't even see him winning it outright on the night. I think we could see a toss up that night. And then the following days, many, many Democratic ballots coming in to to even the score and probably take it home for Biden, though, of course, never underestimate Trump's appeal. I mean, these last debates and even vice presidential debates, they've been talking about, you know, the fracking industry, which is popular in Pennsylvania. Is, I mean, it it makes sense that Trump would have an appeal there. He, he plays to that part of the country. And that needs to be understood. But I also think Biden's background and his whole demeanor really plays to that part, even if his messaging or, well, even if his policies may not, his messaging does. So I, I, I could see him taking it home as stands uh, in Wisconsin. We've got Biden up 52, Trump's 43.3. Again, just showing the differences of 2016 and 2020. Joe Biden's just got a phenomenal lead. And I think it's all in 
maybe, I mean, maybe to throw it back to the Pennsylvania conversation, maybe it is in messaging. Maybe that messaging hits way more uh, deeply to these parts of the countries because when Hillary Clinton goes around saying she's educated here, she's educated there, she's done this, she's done that, she's been to this country, she talked to this leader, that doesn't play in middle America. No, they don't care. And quite frankly, I don't think a lot of West Coast quote unquote elites care. I think we voted out of, you know, reflex. I think, I think states like California voted out of reflex and they always will. But that said, I think Joe Biden's messaging is far more on point come, you know, this 2020. And I think it's going to I think it might win him the election. So moving on, just that was just an example. Now, coming back to something more interesting that has a little bit more nuance that we can talk about is Iowa. This was the state that Obama won for the record. So if Biden is truly going to claim he has the Obama coalition, he needs to win Ohio or rather Iowa. I'm sorry, uh, Iowa, but he won't is my personal opinion. Polls show Trump 47.3% to Biden's 45.6%. Um, it, it's a small lead for Trump, granted, but I think incumbency is a strong factor. I think simply the fact that it's a small state, that Trump's messaging plays directly to that part of the country, the farmers, the downtrodden, the people who are, you know, feel neglected by coastal elites. This is who he's playing for. And I think states like Iowa and Ohio I think those are the states that are going to be hit hardest with his messaging, even if it's not his policies, because his policies honestly play to the the coastal elites that own the businesses. Those are the people making the money off of his policies. But it doesn't matter because the messaging is so on point. The Make America Great Again, back when Middle America was, you know, truly the forefront of America. It's been a while, but... You know, that that's the play. That's that's Donald Trump's whole messaging always has been was in 2015, you know, going into 2016. And it is now. So I think I think it can't be underestimated. And I think while Biden is trying to salvage that Democratic coalition that brought Obama into power, I don't think it's going to do it for him. I don't think Iowa's going to come back to Biden. And I think I think this will be steady progress, though, because I, I know Hillary lost it by more than a few points. So this could be a great place for them to make up ground. We could see more swing voters. It's notorious for its swing voters as well. Iowa has been a notoriously shaky state these past 20 years. So let's just, you know, giving Biden, I mean, quite frankly, he doesn't need to win the state, which is good news for him and his team. But it would be nice to see that Democratic shift, nationally speaking. And and while I don't necessarily pride myself as a you know Democratic Party member, that's never been my thing. In fact, I, I quite despise the old guard of the Democratic Party. I think nationally speaking, for those who dislike Trump like me, just on base principle, because I think it's unhealthy for our democracy, I think Biden making good good ground here could could mean a lot in in the grand scheme of things. So. As a throwback to the Obama coalition, it would be incredible to see him pull it out, you know, past election night. But I just don't see it in the cards, much less does he need to win Iowa. But again, it would be great to to see that blue wave to end, you know, instable, undemocratic factors that are Donald Trump. Likewise, moving into Ohio, though it is really close here, it's it's Trump's 47.1% to Biden's 46.9%. And that's close. I mean, obviously, that's 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 0.2%. That's real close. That's well within margin of error. And Trump had recently had to divert funds from Ohio to Pennsylvania and Florida because he was running out of money for his campaign. So we saw that shift. We saw Biden uh, make up ground, I'm sure, as far as, you know, public media at any rate. And that could make a big factor. We've seen it happen because we've, we've seen how it is such an important factor, especially in these local races and in, in statewide or, you know, 
countywide elections, that branding, that 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 constant and consistent messaging is so important. Running ads anywhere you can is incredibly important, and that's that's the thing we've seen. Uh, like I said in in uh, Graham's Senate race, we've seen him get outspent five to one by Jamie Harrison, and and that's what's doing. That's what's changing the poll numbers. That's what's making up ground, especially in a historically red state. So it shows that it can run against the grain, especially in in you know red states or deep blue states if you wanted to play it to the opposite. So on it, quite you know quite honestly. If Joe Biden has been getting his messaging down, if they've been running good ads, proper and, and well thought out ads in Ohio, we could see that margin of error shift and we could see Biden take it home. Um, again, it would be reminiscent of the Obama coalition and it would embolden the Democratic Party. But quite frankly, it's not a foregone conclusion. And I think it would be a fool's errand to say, put $50 down in Ohio because it's just not a good idea. But again, just showing those parallels to 2016 to 2020, it's it's incredibly, it, it, quite frankly, that's that's all the word. It's it's incredible to see when you've got a different candidate, no change in policy, no change in platform, just a different candidate, and it makes all the difference. Um, Georgia, this is what I think may be the largest upset. I don't personally have the faith to believe that uh, Biden will win Georgia. Being of an incredibly historic red state, I think red voters will turn out knowing that the polls show them losing. But at, at least right now, the average is Biden's 48.4% to Trump's 46.8%, giving Biden a small lead. But again, I don't see it happening. I don't see Georgia flipping blue for the first time with Biden, of all people. That doesn't mean it can't happen. I just don't know. I mean, the demographic shifts may be happening all across the country, changing you know places like Arizona and changing places like Georgia, especially with voter enfranchisement going on in, in most you know most southern states. At least there's a fight for it in a lot of southern states. I can't see it happening, and it's not because I don't have faith. It's it's rather just because I think there's too many people who can't vote. There's It's notorious in places like Texas and Georgia, uh, talking about how nobody can get, you know, polls are, or uh, rather ballots are getting, you know, the lines are eight hours and no one can sit through them. You've got to go to work. You've got kids to deal with. You know, it's, it's not possible to vote, and it's that inability to vote that's going to make, that's going to allow the Republicans to win, if I had to guess. Um... And, but, it, but it does show a good shift, Georgia, it shows a good shift in uh, Democratic leaning, or rather, it may not even be Biden or the Democrats' uh, accomplishment, it may just be anti-Trump sentiment that boils down there, but that, that you know, that's not really quantifiable, and that's anybody's best guess. Uh, and then moving on to our last state that we're going to talk about is Florida, and I think... I think these polls are misleading because I think Biden's 48.5% and Trump's 46.7%. I do not see Biden winning Florida. And it's not because I don't think, you know, people who voted for Hillary aren't going to show up for Biden. That's, that's not the case. I know he'll turn out the same coalition. He may he may turn out the Obama coalition and, and bring out a lot more people than Hillary did. But quite frankly, I think there's a democratic demographic shift going on in Florida. I think a lot of older folks are moving down there who just tend to vote Republican. And I think a lot of Cuban immigrants and, and the Cuban communities who vote Republican because of their Catholic background, I think... It's, it's not so much a failure of the Democratic Party. I think it's just an inability to align those voters to the Democratic values, not, you know, the values of the Democratic Party, I should say. Um, and so I, I it's again, it's not a failing of, of the Democratic Party. Rather, I think it's just a, a inevitability 
and, and especially being surrounded by those red states, though, of course, we see states like Georgia flipping. So who knows, quite frankly. That said, I think incumbency is a powerful force. And I think looking back to 2016, I just I can't shake the feeling that Florida will go red. That's just quite frankly how I feel about the situation. I don't think his the, the working man talk is going to win Biden Florida. I don't think it'll do it. That's just not the kind of place it is. I think it'll win in middle America, but I just can't see him winning that coastal state for free based on the Obama coalition and then based on 2016. So in conclusion, I think, you know, going back through these these states that we've talked about, I think Arizona is Biden's to win. Not a foregone conclusion, but it is Biden's to win. I think Michigan is, is pretty much called for Biden, in my opinion. Pennsylvania, I I believe his his hometown appeal is going to win him. I think Biden will win Pennsylvania. Going into Wisconsin, I think it's Biden's. I mean, Biden's got to get it. Quite frankly, I I I think the polls. If let's say this, if he loses Wisconsin, the polls can never be trusted again, and that's incredibly unfortunate because it will be outside of the margin of error, and we will have a genuine problem going on in our in our polling system. Going into places like Iowa, we see. I, I, quite frankly, again, I think Trump's going to take it. I, I just think the Obama coalition won't turn out for Biden quite like it did. And I think too many Trump voters are stuck in their way. I think it's really like a commitment. Um, so I think Trump's got Iowa. Uh, Ohio, again, I think it's it's very, very close. And if that ad was, you know, if polling those ads truly meant the, the victory or loss in the state and Trump loses, I'm sure he'll beat himself up over it forever. But if if Biden does win, that'll be incredible. If Trump loses, uh, I mean, that, that that marks an incredible shift going forward. I think messaging the Republican Party, uh, we'll, we'll get onto this later, but I think there's going to have to be some serious shifts if that's the case. Same with Georgia. If Biden does pull it out, that's going to be an incredible upset and going to cause a lot of national discourse about what happened there. And in Florida, I just think Trump's got it on lockdown. I just think that I, I truly do think just the precedent from 2016 shows us that Trump really appeals to the communities there, and there's not a lot that Biden can do about it, no matter how he changes his messaging. So that's just, quite frankly, I mean, to conclude the polling segment, I think that is just how it's going to come out in there in Florida. And I think, and of course, these are all just my opinions based on the polls here. Some, most of them going with the polls, though a few I disagree with, um, mostly shifting for Trump, just because I think like we we saw in 2016 there's a disengaged part of the population who comes out to vote for trump that that the polls just don't seem to capture um and it's mostly uneducated voters that the pollsters don't go for and i think that's going to cost them accuracy um but that said i'm i'm sure everyone else has their own opinions and i i I'd, I'd really love to to be able to talk about this with with other people but as for my own opinions that's what I've got, and I think I think you know you can reflect on the polls how you want, but but th- th- that's truly how I do feel. Moving on to our next story, let's just get into it. It is a case of incivility that I think is is just encapsulative of 2020 on a different scale because it it is a, a case of voter or rather. Not not voter intimidation. I shouldn't say that because it's it's tangential, but not not the same. It's the Biden campaign bus was going to a rally in Texas, and Trump supporters came out as if they were to intimidate. But instead of going for the voters, they decided why why, why have the middleman? Let's just go for the big dog. So they surrounded the Biden bus and they you know 
stopped it from moving. The Biden bus couldn't move. And, and, you know, you can claim that the Biden campaign should have had a decoy bus or something. But I think that's that's indicative of a different problem. If you think you need to have your democratically elected, you know, nominees be protected by some sort of facade of a different bus or, you know, a discrete vehicle, that that's a problem with democracy. Because if those people are under threat in the first place, you've got a problem. And I think I think as many, you know, people want to claim, oh, it's just people, you know, acting very fervently for their, their, you know, nominee. They want Trump to win so bad that they're just showing their support by, you know, messing up Biden. That's a problem. That's not being patriotic. That's not showing your support. That's actively discouraging democratic values. And that's a problem. That's a that's a baseline problem. And everyone needs to understand that, because if you're going to go out there and you're going to try and mess up with the other, that's the exact show of weakness. That's the problem here. If you feel that your position is so fragile that the only way you can get ahead is attacking, insulting or, you know, actively just, you know, disenfranchising Biden from going to rallies, he had to cancel his rally in Texas. Going to the places, you know, and stopping people from voting or stopping people like Biden from going to his rallies to, you know, show support. That's a problem. That's not just a problem with the campaign either. That's not a Trump problem. That's a person problem. That's a civilian problem. That's a civility problem. And if you're going to go that far, we already have some very baseline issues that we need to discuss because I think everyone needs to be reminded that this is a democracy. And just because Trump goes out there and says, oh, I love those people who were messing with Biden, that doesn't make it okay. Because I've already talked about this and I stand firm to this belief Trump represents some very undemocratic values that are very problematic. And I think if his style of of leading sticks around for that long, we're going to have some serious issues with our republic. And that's a problem that I don't want to have to deal with because I think we don't need to deal with it because we have some amazing people in this country that could and very well should and will represent us as Americans in a great light. But people who go out there and do stuff like this make us all look horrible. You make us look terrible and you actively discourage other people from participating in the political discourse, from people, you know, engaging with politics at all, because it looks like a bunch of children. It looks like a bunch of kids. And that's the problem here. So next time you go to, you know, egg a politician, let me be clear here. Attacking a politician for his ideas or for her, uh, you know, appeals to certain people or any of that, that is fine. You can attack a politician on their policies, you can attack her on her positions, you can attack him on his past. That is fine. But you do not need to go so far as to actively disrupt their ability to spread their message, no matter how horrible you may think it is. And this goes both ways, for the record. I stand by this opinion in the reverse. I don't think any Biden supporters should go out there and attack Trump supporters. I don't think any Biden supporters should go out there and counter protest, you know, rallies that that Trump has, um, you know, in in a civil way. Sure, you can have a, you know, a rally uh, tangential to their rally to show your, you know, dislike for their ideas and your support for the antithesis of their ideas. That's fine. But don't go into their rallies and start screaming at them. Don't go, you know, attack the Trump motorcades or the boat parades that's not a that's that's not what you need to do you can win through good means and winning through good means is worth a lot more than than winning through bad means because you know i would rather lose 
with civility than win by playing dirty. And that's the that's the way politics needs to be run. Because if both sides can can apply themselves to this principle, we can have a functioning democracy. Anything other than that, and it's an imperfect democracy that does not play to the will of the people. And that's a problem because that's no longer a democracy. That's that's a you know a morphed version of of, of faction you know interfactional vi- violence and, and and disagreement. That's not democratic values in play. So I think it's important to remind everyone just with this short story that I wholeheartedly think that everyone needs to disavow this sort of action on both sides. For the record, on both sides, I want to make that clear. Going to Nancy Pelosi and, you know, smacking her across the face, as satisfying to some as it may be, that's not the way to play the game. Same with Mitch McConnell. And I know that rubs a lot of people the wrong way because they say, I like Nancy Pelosi, but I really, really dislike Mitch McConnell, or vice versa. I don't care. And you, you need to come to understand, and it's not just, you know, the singular listener out here, it's everybody. We all need to remind ourselves constantly, especially because politics is such a, you know, a vicious field. It's important to realize that we're all people, and we're all people who feel we're in the right, and that's the biggest problem here, is that we all think we're correct, and because we go into it viewing the other guy automatically as a villain, because they're not aligned with your principles, because you already, you know, you already consider yourself correct, and that's the, you know, that's, that's really what it all comes down to is a bunch of people who think they're right arguing with each other which automatically makes the other person wrong and when you know someone's wrong or you think you know someone's wrong it's so easy to dehumanize them or to act as if it's okay that you mess with them because they don't matter because they're wrong that's a terrible mindset to walk into it with so i think we all need to remind ourselves with a story like this in the news especially so close to election day we just need to come to understand that as americans civility must reign or we will we won't have america writing on the wake of that that past conversation i think i just want to come back to to resettle everyone before this election you know directly preceding it in fact i think we just need to all be uh, we all need to understand what's going to happen here because 2020 is going to signify two things and and you know you can't say one's bad one's good because of course we can't see the future but i'm going to lay down what i think will will happen if biden wins and if trump wins because i think it's important that we all understand the consequences of this election more so even than policy i think there's a a truly future changing a timeline changing event here that we all need to come you know we all we all need to understand so looking at a biden victory is going to be a lot like looking at an obama victory and what do i mean by that i mean it's going to be a resurgence of the early 2000 politics it's going to be a lot of the old two-party system we're going to see the democratic party consolidate it'll feel real good to win for all the Democrats, but that also includes all the the far, you know, further left, the more, you know, socialist light part, you know, wing of the party with with Bernie and people like Andrew Yang and AOC. Those people are all going to be very placated. You know, with with a win like this, they're going to feel good. They're going to feel good to be part on the winning team, and they're not going to want to leave the winning team quite as much. They're going to want to reform the winning team, perhaps, but they're not going to want to leave it. And the same thing goes for the Republican Party, where losing to the the you know pseudo obama biden coalition it's going to feel a lot like a, a t- 2008 to 2012 um i i think it will cement trumpism as the part of the, the of the party it's going to keep but i think that's that's been decided as as early as 2017 2018 when the senators and the congressmen and they 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 came to consolidate behind trump to get these justices through and to get those tax cuts through so i think 
regardless of what happens, it's Trump's party. And I think it's going to be a party of populist, you know, right wing populism for the next 20 years at, at bare minimum if Biden wins. If Trump wins, however, I think all of that is out the window because we're going to see a few things. This will be the section, second election in a row where there's been an, a, you know, a quote unquote uns- upset with, with, with Trump and the Republican Party. They're going to feel that he is some sort of savior and that he's brought them from the brink. The Republicans were getting beat twice in a row with, with Obama and they, you know, Bush wasn't incredibly popular to start with. So it, it, it's going to feel like Trump was some sort of savior, especially with his rhetoric playing on that, of course, being him. He's going to make it seem like he did all the work himself and you couldn't have done this with any other candidate. And to some degree, he's right. If, if Trump hadn't been the, you know, if it had been a Rubio or, quite frankly, Cruz, I think they would have lost in 2016. I think I think they wouldn't have had the same voter activative turnout that, that Trump had with all those, you know, those people who currently, you know, previously hadn't voted and now currently are voting, I think those people hadn't, wouldn't have turned out for any other candidate than Trump. And he can pride himself in that because I do agree with him in that. So Trump, that's 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 all his, you know, well and good. But I think there's also a problem that's going to, you know, it's going to plant the seed for a problem that, that's really going to sprout on later. And that is an entire split in the Republican and Democratic Party. That's going to cause a lot of problems for both. Because Republicans winning... Yes, it's going to it's going to consolidate the party around Trump, but I think it will make a lot of it'll be a reckoning for a lot of conservative, original, you know, more centrist Republicans. A lot of people like Cruz, a lot of people like Romney. Those people are going to come to say, hey, this isn't my party anymore. I wanted McCain's party. I wanted Bush's party. What happened to that? And I think those people are going to consolidate around a new candidate, perhaps maybe not this next cycle, but maybe they'll go to the libertarians if the libertarians run a more orthodox candidate than someone like Joe Georgeson and Spike, more of a Gary Johnson type character. If they if they ran with that messaging, a Justin Amash, perhaps you could see a real civil Republican Party sprout out instead of the populist Republican Party that Trump has right now. And I think the Democrats have a similar issue on their hands because it's, it's again, it's not just the Republicans who are going to feel some real fracturing. If the Democrat, you know, if the Democratic Party loses this election, it, it's going to be a serious reckoning day for the, you know, the base of the Democratic Party. Because while those centrist Democrats make up the majority of the party, there is no way there's no way they're going to convince the far left part of the party to come. Oh, let's try this one again. Let's try another centrist. That's not going to happen. In twenty, you know, in twenty twenty four, when Don Jr. runs or Ivanka runs, there's no way that Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang and AOC are going to bend the knee again to another centrist Democrat. They're going to split. And if you know, if they run, you know, I, I don't know who it would be, but let's just pull a name out of it. Let's say, uh, you know, John Kerry. If John Kerry runs in 2024 as the Democratic nominee, if he's the one that they prop up to run for 2024 and they, the centrist, he's not going to change anything. Or if it's Kamala Harris. I mean, I you know, if they if they run another centrist like that, she may have a better chance than most to consolidate parts of the left, but it's not going to be enough. Because there's going to be a sizable portion of the Democratic Party, and I'm I'm going to guess here, based around Bernie Sanders' popularity within the party and people like AOC's popularity in the party, it's looking more and more like 20 to 30 percent of the Democratic Party just doesn't want to be there anymore, and they wish they could be part of their own successful party in some sort of socialist light party that would run 
counter to, you know, the, the Democratic Party because they just can't get the, the goals are too broad now. The coalition has too many faces in it and it no longer appeases both sides on a lot of issues because the centrists want to go too right and the, the leftists want to go far too left. So there's going to be a lot of problems going forward for those you know, those two parties, especially if Donald Trump wins, because it's just going to exacerbate the issues that you know they're already ailing from, and it's it's going to make a it's going to give them a really bad look going into 2024 and beyond, especially with people like AOC entering their prime of, of their political career. Now that politics starts so much earlier for these candidates, I think when you know the minute she's eligible to run for president, that fear is going to be on every you know every American's mind that isn't pro AOC. And, you know, based on polls of popularity, she's got about 25% of the American population by her side, but that's not 100. And that's not even 50. That's not even close to 50. So she's got a real problem on her hands. But, but you know, likewise, flipping that script, everyone else, that 75% that doesn't like her has a real problem on her hands. Because when you've got a four-way split, if both these parties decide to crack, or even half of the, you know, if half of the Republicans go one way or a fourth of the Republicans go one way, that's immediately, as we've seen historically, I mean, with, with people like Ross Perot, this can change elections. People, you know, throwing it as, as far back as, as to people like uh, Teddy Roosevelt, splitting a party always win, you know, wins for the other guy. So as much as it feels good, it's a guaranteed loss. So, yes, coalitions, it's just the way our democracy, the first past the post-democracy works. It, it tends to coalesce into a, you know, a, a, a duopoly. That doesn't mean, that doesn't quite guarantee that people won't split anyways to make themselves feel better. And that's a serious problem going into 2024 and 2028 because it's, it, it, it's entirely possible. And with all that, you know, thought about, it really comes down to whether Trump can can win and exacerbate these problems or Trump loses. And we return to a normalcy that I think we'll see only the Democratic Party split, because I don't I don't know if the Republican Party is going to shatter quite like the Democrats will if they lose, because even if they win and Biden goes through and he has a milquetoast presidency of four years of no change, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a real problem, especially for that AOC wing that's getting right, you know, into her primacy, getting ready to, you know, really change some things, especially as down the ballot candidates seem to align with her a lot more than the incumbents do. And we're seeing this again with people like Nancy Pelosi finally facing challenges and, and even, you know, long seated Democrats facing real issues within, you know, fighting for their own incumbency in their, their local races in primaries. That's a problem. So the party's going to have a reckoning. And I think Tom Perez and, and, you know, the real DNC leadership's not ready for it. And, you know, say what you want about whether they can make, you know, changes to the party or if it's too late. It doesn't really matter, especially if Trump wins. But if Biden wins, he's going to have to really put the pedal to the metal and and make some real changes because it, it doesn't look like he will, for the record. But if he does then he might just save the Democratic Party for its own, you know, from its own explosion. But it, it, it's ready to implode at, at a second's notice if, if Trump does seem to pull out this victory, because I think both parties have had enough and it's, 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 it, it, it'll make politics real interesting. So for the better or for the worse, no one can say again. But I truly do believe this is a timeline defining moment here, this this next election. And, you know, <laughs> You'll you'll be hearing this after the election happens, so I, I hope I'm not scaring you too much. Depending on what happened, but you may not even know the the victory, you know, 
the victor or or loser at this time of hearing. But all that said, just as a small conclusion, I think I hope go into the election with hope, guys. I mean, that's all you can do. But but be ready to have those hopes crushed because that's the way politics works. And I think everyone needs to understand that. Um, there's always four more years from now. And in the meantime, you need to focus on local races and local initiatives and what you can do to make a difference. If you truly want to make a difference, it's all on you. And like I've said earlier, it's on your, you know, it, it's on your time to vote. And it's for God's sakes, focus on on not just the national elections, but if you want change locally, if you want to protect your liberties locally, make sure you enable yourself to to engage with local politics and races that have you know in a hundred members uh, backing one candidate or a thousand people who work for this candidate with ten volunteers handing out flyers. That can make a huge difference to your life personally, and I I, I guarantee that it, it can make a difference in your life uh, just going forward if you realize that those races mean a lot more than these nationally you know national races do as we've seen with four years of trump and eight years of uh obama it's it's not always what they want to do because they quite often can't so just make sure that you you work on local races if you truly do believe in these things because i've always thought about it like this at least as of recently as i've learned it it, it's important that you focus on these local races and don't pay as much heed though the national pulse is always gathered through this election so Go into it with a lot of hope, guys, and, and you know, be as hopeful as you can, but it, it, it may be a little disappointing. So, you know, all said, good luck, America. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.